The restaurant and the customer and even the general public get turned into units of surveillance with the implicit threat that they could report you to management and get you fired. So it means the Uber knows that you are desperate for money and then they know how to feed you, when to feed you, when to give you a job. When to, basically Uber knows how to make you or break you. The IWGB presents Unworkable. Episode 2. Your boss is watching you. The government's investigatory powers bill, the so-called Snoopers Charter, which sets out what security services can find out about people's internet activity, will become law I within... I am appalled that this law has come into force. I think George Orwell would be turning in his Snoopers grave. Snoopers Charter is not the right phrase. That sounds like the agreement an eight-year-old is forced to sign, <laughs> promising to knock before he enters his parents' bedroom. I don't think that a bill like this would be presentable, let alone viable, in any other Western country besides the UK, which does tend to be on the very far end. The passing of the UK's Snoopers Charter last year created significant and justified outrage. The worry that it would give government unprecedented powers to monitor our communications was echoed in almost every news broadcast. And this reaction has been repeated every time governments around the world have made further attempts to encroach on our privacy. So while there seems to be a healthy debate regarding how much the government should know about us, the same isn't true when it comes to other entities that hold vast amounts of data on us. Our employers. In fact, most of us have signed contracts allowing our employers to monitor most things we do at work, and sometimes even outside of work. In making this podcast, I decided to look over contracts I had with different employers over the years. The company reserves the right to record and or intercept telephone calls, emails, internet access, or other communications. The company may also collect limited amounts of sensitive personal data about your criminal history and or record for recruitment or compliance purposes, as well as collected indirectly from monitoring devices, e.g. door access control mechanisms, closed circuit television. I asked the lawyer what exactly employers could get away with. Karina Ferguson is a barrister at Old Square Chambers and a former in-house lawyer at civil rights charity Liberty. She said in terms of active surveillance, everything from intercepting communications or CCTV, the law is certainly on the side of employers. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the law as it stands doesn't provide very much protection to employees um, in terms of surveillance or data gathering by their employer. So um, there, there is a lawful basis uh, provided under uh, UK law for um, A, gathering data, and B, conducting certain types of surveillance. Um, so... Uh, not only is there an absence of uh, remedies for employees, there's a, a positive um, uh, justification or basis for that type of activity to be undertaken by employers. Ferguson is referring to the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act from the year 2000 and the rules set out by the UK's privacy regulator, the Information Commissioner. So your work phone, work PC and any movement that is caught by your office's CCTV could be retained and used by your employer. But what if I'm using my personal phone on the office's Wi-Fi network? Could they be justified to snoop on me then? Um, on your own phone, um, I would say that's very unlikely to be reasonable, um, lawful. It's not going to uh, constitute fair and lawf uh, lawful processing. 
under the Data Protection Act for an employer to be keeping that sort of information. Um, but the problem with that is your remedy. So uh, if the employer does say they keep records on where, when you're looking at, at Facebook during your lunch hour, that might be a breach of the first data protection principle, but your um, only remedy is a complaint to the information commissioner, um, potentially a finding against the employer, but that's going to be difficult to obtain. And that's the nub of the problem. The limited laws that exist don't provide sufficient possibilities for workers to seek redress, and advances in technology are raising all kinds of new challenges. Frederica Kalten is a policy officer at Privacy International. She argues that as technology changes work, it is also blurring the lines between our work and our private lives. Employers have always processed very sensitive information about their workers. You, you have to give, if, if you're in a, in a work relationship, you have to, you know, like your employer knows your sick days, uh, your, your salary, wh- where you are, when, etc. So this is, this is already, I think, a problem. And what is changing is that technology allows for more surveillance and at the same time, Work is changing, not just in the gig economy. the The line between not sorry the the line between not working and working is becoming ever more blurry, and and that that of course makes it possible that workplace surveillance sort of like creeps in out of out of work. <laughs> Think about a situation of factory work. All right, you check in, you're constantly being monitored, but then you go home. But for a lot of people, you take your work laptop home, you answer your emails at home. Um, this distinction is becoming more blurry. This encroachment of surveillance into every aspect of our lives is best illustrated by the rising gig economy. These are jobs at places like Uber and Deliveroo, where rather than being managed by a human boss, workers are managed by an app on their phones. In the last episode, we looked at how these jobs limit people's employment rights. But is there another sinister aspect to them? Take, for example, if you work for a delivery service. The, de- the delivery service makes money by constantly optimizing their service, which includes analyzing whatever it is their workers do. They optimize for efficiency, so they analyze what kind of routes do people take, how often do people work, when do they log in, how often do they check our apps. All of these information are basically the foundation of such services. Surveillance also seems to be part of the customer experience they offer. Hey, 20 minutes, guys. This is a French advert for Deliveroo. In it, a group of spies are tracking an unknown person. At the end of the advert, it turns out that the person is the Deliveroo rider delivering their food. Toujours aussi rapide. Deliveroo, vos restos préférés, toujours bien livrés. Demain, on se fait un Mexicain. This is something Deliveroo riders experience all the time. Their movements can be tracked by the customer and the company. But why does the company hold all this data on them? Jim is a delivery writer and trade unionist. He says that the purpose of this surveillance goes beyond profiting from the data and providing a more complete user experience. It is a way of controlling its workers. At least initially when I started, I was receiving fortnightly updates um, by email about my kind of performance analysis, which would be, say, I was traveling two minutes an average of two minutes faster from restaurant to customer's house than the rest of delivery riders, okay? Or I was waiting two minutes longer on average than most delivery drivers at the door of a customer's house, okay? So all these metrics are compiled. All of this surveillance is constantly happening and all of it always with the kind of threat of if your performance is not 
good enough a certain amount of times let's say two fortnights in a row you're at risk of having your job taken away that element of control is made even more explicit with uber while deliveroo has since stopped sending those fortnightly reports uber still does they inform drivers for example of how fast they press their brakes or how fast they accelerate said has been working with uber for several years and was one of the very first drivers in the company if you are desperate uber knows you are desperate about money because when you drive from here to here uh, i know the driver they start driving from stratford to um uh, uh, till belgravia they don't stop waiting for a job that shows your desperation to uber if you're not desperate you're just going to stay in uh, stratford or maximum you're going to come to hackney but you're not going to drive all the way down to belgravia empty so it means the uber knows that you are desperate for money and then they know how to feed you when to feed you when to give you a job when to, basically uber knows how to make you or break you key to that control is the debt many uber drivers enter into in order to buy their vehicles and the now infamous rating system sayed says that if your rating falls to 4.5 you can be deactivated drivers live in constant fear of deactivation as it can lead to bankruptcy or even destitution he says he feels trapped i got tra- i feel like i've been trapped because i bought the car i got the car now i need to pay my car finance which is i'm behind my payment i need to pay for my higher reward insurance which is like 150 pound a, uh, a month so i go like uh, at least 500 pounds expense a month some drivers they go 500 pounds expense a week it depends which category you are in so i am better off in that sense but still i feel it like i, I uh, if i don't work or if i just work less than 30 hours that's what uber claims i won't be able to pay anything so i have to work 65 70 hours a week to pay off all these uh, debts and insurance payments and this and that and then i can earn something for myself this meant that one day when he was deactivated following a minor customer complaint he was faced with the prospect of not earning when he needed the money yeah i've been deactivated once um, it was uh, i was uh, driving on the park lane suddenly uh, the car on the back basically i stopped i braked on the lights and the, he actually he just couldn't brake on the time i had a passenger on the board he couldn't brake on the time he just slightly hit me so i came out i looked at the car car was absolutely fine i asked the passengers are you okay they said oh, all right i mean even they even didn't feel it that's there was a, but i felt it like someone hit me from the back and i said okay no problem uh, we shake a hand and we actually left the scene and uh, uh, the next morning i finished the work the next morning i woke up i turned it on i just couldn't turn it on my app and then i looked at there was a message uh, you have been deactivated we will contact you and then i was waiting for the call and the call came like after like 4 5 hours what this points to is a phenomenon that is also found in deliveroo people are encouraged to report riders if for example they wear helmets inside restaurants or if they act in contravention with other parts of the company's policy deliveroo rider jim says that the company has effectively outsourced the espionage of its workers to its customers something that is made easier by the fact that they can do it by simply pressing a button on an app or a website there are other aspects of surveillance that happen um with delivery which is that the the restaurant and the customer and even the general public 
get turned into units of surveillance with the implicit threat that they could report you to management and get you fired, right? This is something that Deliveroo says when they onboard you, you know, they say, you're the face of Deliveroo. You must take off your helmet when you go to the customer's house. You know, you must not ride your bicycle on the pavement, for example. And the implicit threat is that the customer, the restaurant, the general public could be people to report you to management and get you fired or impede your ability to, to do more work. Yeah, I know someone who's been working for Deliveroo for a very long time, basically since they started. Um, and a restaurant complained about him going in into the restaurant to pick up food with his helmet on. They spoke to Deliveroo. Deliveroo instantly terminated this guy's contract. Uh, I don't know what... I haven't looked at their, <coughs> their dictionary. I don't know what terminology they use. They unassigned him probably or deactivated him, I imagine. But he, this guy had been literally working probably five or six or seven days a week with Deliveroo for three years. You know, One day a restaurant says he walked in with his helmet on, refused to take it off. That moment, Deliveroo sent him an email saying he's deactivated. And that's that. And there are other elements of surveillance that worry the workers of both companies. Jim told us that once when making a delivery, he informed the company over the phone that his smartphone battery was running low, only to find out that the company already knew this. The app clearly was giving them access to other information about his phone he was not aware of. And Saeed told us of how the Uber app requested access to his smartphone microphone and contacts when he installed it. What this leads to in the mind of the worker is the knowledge that at any time they could be watched and everything they do could be up for scrutiny. Ben Garrity is a colleague of Jim's and was active in organizing Deliveroo riders ever since they went on strike in London in August of last year. He works in the Camden area, where he was also recruiting for the IWGB trade union. While on holiday, he got a message telling him that he was under investigation for unauthorized use of a Deliveroo cargo bike. When he came back from holiday, he realized that he wasn't able to work. It was about three weeks bet bet between the time that they had terminated me and then they sent me an email saying that I was under investigation. So basically they al already knew that they wanted to get rid of me, but they were looking for a reason. And they found that reason because, you know, allegedly I rode this, this bike, yeah? And it's, not, it's irrelevant whether I did or I didn't. How, how do you think they found out that you were riding this bike? Well, I know, I saw that they had um, managers, like high up managers, riding around in the Camden zone. The problem these guys face is that even the limited protections that employees have don't apply to them. Karina Ferguson from Old Square Chambers explains. So for employees, the remedies that are available for privacy breaches or unlawful data processing are already pretty limited. Um, for workers, it's even worse. So the one uh, remedy that is at least in theory available to employees um, is that they can complain of unfair dismissal if they've got sufficient qualifying service and that could in theory protect somebody who for example resigned as a result of what they considered to be an unwarranted intrusion into their uh, privacy rights or they were dismissed on the strength of evidence that was obtained in breach of uh, privacy rights that they would then have theoretically a claim in the employment tribunal of course it's going to be quite a brave employee who would risk resigning and bringing employment tribunal proceedings uh, on the basis of that. Um, for workers, they can't even bring an employment tribunal claim for unfair dismissal. Um, and in the absence of any other uh, enforceable right under the uh, Data Protection Act for, for that sort of situation, 
Um, there's not a lot they can do apart from make a complaint to the information commissioner. And as with many other things, the advances in technology that make surveillance easier in the context of these precarious jobs are spreading to other, more traditional workplaces. There are, for example, the well-documented cases of warehouse or factory workers being tracked through the use of digital armbands. But is there even more intimate information that employers are trying to gather on us? Phoebe Moore is a lecturer at the University of Middlesex and has done extensive research on the impact and growth of surveillance in the workplace, everywhere from the warehouse to white-collar jobs. She says that surveillance now goes beyond just monitoring of emails and CCTV. For example, companies now use software that track every single key that you press on your computer. So forget about typing my boss's A, C, star, star, T on notepad as you try and figure out how you're going to finish that report at 8 p.m. on a Friday. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Through the use of wearable technology such as fitness trackers, companies are gathering vast amounts of health data on their employees. And there are other tracking devices that are used to gather even more detailed sensory data in what is called sociometrics. Data was produced that actually portrayed where the workers walk around the office. Um, it also can track uh, the it can track your movements. So in that sense, you for example, you can be determined uh, how effective was your is your communication style. Um, so if you link the types of movements of the arms, uh, the communication as it happens, the tone of the voice, uh, the data can be used to understand. Uh, to, to look at then, to, to kind of person, personalize it, to profile, to, to say, okay, so more productivity happens, for example, when specific workers are speaking to each other or when specific communication styles are happening. This type of infra- these types of d- technologies are being used in meetings to assess the similar kind of thing. So that's sensory in the sense that uh, that's the movement. But there's even more intimate uh, methods. And that has to do with, again, as you said, uh, temperature has to do with heartbeat. So in construction environments, this is already being used because it's a risk of, uh, risk factor, risk assessment. Um, if someone working on a construction site is seen to have uh, too high of, for example, heart rate, then it's dangerous for that person. So they can be taken off the site. It's being used in other contexts, for example, sleep data, not exactly the same as sensory, but sleep data. Um, your employer, if they're able to see how well you've slept, uh, how much you've slept and this kind of thing, and these are the kinds of questions that are being asked, is how that data can be used. This tracking by companies, especially in white collar jobs, is done allegedly with the hope of promoting healthier and more productive workers. As Radiohead once said, Better, happier, more productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym, three days a week. Moore has managed to do research on pilot projects within companies. In one case, people were given a range of devices that would track their productivity, movement, and sleep. People would also email a report on how they felt, their stress levels, and other issues over the course of a year. In my research, I found people became actually more self-aware, and that's something that, that the technology markets, that you become aware of the autonomic self, the kind of physiological self, the in the the more internal the aspects of your heartbeat, your your pulse, you know, your your ability to sleep or not, this kind of thing. But how comfortable are you with your colleagues knowing that? So while people became more self-aware, they became more sensitized. Um, and in many cases, people stopped using the products in the context of work simply because of levels of discomfort. Now, not everyone is given the option to not use particular uh, 
uh, you know, technologies. I think that's where the big question comes in around, a, let's say, potentially uh, legislation. So governments might start to ask questions about this, you know, and in fact, they have. Where they ask most questions have to do with, so far, uh, what the employer can know about your health and about your Um, medical history and about your sexual sexuality uh, and your lifestyle choices and these kinds of things. So this is the very specific things that, that your employer should not know about you. But uh, when you're provided with a health tracking device, uh, so in the US there's been discussion about this and it, and it turns out that, that steps are something that your employer may be able to know about you However, your heart rate is considered something that goes within a potential arena for the for discrimination. Um, so there's some legislation around that. But the question we have to ask is, can there ever be a consenting relationship between an employer and an employee? And if that is the case, uh, then the data that's shared has to be put into that context. If the power imbalance between bosses and workers means that there's no way for us to escape this surveillance, we have to start asking ourselves, what is it doing to us? Research has also shown that uh, this could potentially lead uh, workers to feel they're being micromanaged, which is interesting, the paradox of the self-management that things like Uber driving, things like this provides. Um, but research has shown that, that people might feel their privacy is being invaded. It could lead to lower job satisfaction, um, autonomy at work, uh, and kind of personalized motivation clearly also has have been proven to, to lead to better job satisfaction. It can lead to increased stress, That can lead to low trust relationships, uh, potentially negative work relationships. And these can lead to the kinds of things that I've talked about in some of my research uh, as a poor psychosocial condition. What we're talking about is potentially human dignity. Is that what's at stake? But this form of surveillance also opens the door to new opportunities for discrimination. Is if health is used as something to do with our performance uh, management uh, and appraisal, then, it, again, potentials for discrimination because clearly not everyone is going to be a marathon runner. Not everyone is going to be able to. Like, what about people with insomnia? What about, uh, and then in the other arena, people with childcare responsibilities, all this kind of stuff. Moore says there are some initiatives by trade unions to start to look at these issues, but they're certainly not enough. And technology advances much faster than our ability to regulate it. Ferguson explained that the data protection legislation in the UK was already deficient in the area of employee protection when it was introduced in the year 2000. Remember the year 2000? We were using this ringtone. Now, almost 20 years later, we're left completely undefended. But even more worrying is that there is still not much of a debate around these issues. I wish I could finish this episode with some great optimistic message as to how we could defend ourselves, but maybe for now, all we can do is follow Ben's example. Ben, who was sacked from Deliveroo after he allegedly rode a bike he was not authorized to ride, managed to get his job back. His solution was to go to the press and expose the company's practices and attack the one thing they value the most, their public image. Shortly after he wrote an article for the Financial Times on Deliveroo and his experience of victimization, he got his job back. He says, if they monitor you, you should monitor them. Exposing them at any turn, just getting the hard evidence. Because I don't think they, I think they're quite used to people being so scared of them that they don't think people are going to turn around and do what's needed to be done. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> so 
just just go for it. Do you know what I mean? What's the worst that can happen? If if you complain, they're going to get rid of you. So you might as well take them with you and make a big noise about it. And most of the time, if you make a big enough noise about it, you'll get your job back anyway.